time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. It is Monday, November 21st, 2022. This podcast is created by mortgage professionals, some of the happiest mortgage professionals, some of the smartest mortgage professionals, and it's for you, the listening audience, who we hope to make even smarter than you already are. So we're grateful to have you as our listener. Our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. I was just thinking as we were getting ready to go on, um, I'm having my second cup of coffee, and someone said, Lickin, coffee should be illegal for someone like you. You've got too much energy. So the first time I appeared on Fox Business uh, Television, they said, now, just act like you just sipped on a, or just had an espresso. After I did my first interview with them, they go, scratch (laughs) scratch the, you don't need any more caffeine. You're already wired. So anyway, I'm so glad that you are listening to this podcast, and I'm joined by some of the most amazing people that joined us. Alice Alvey's here. She's been with me since the very, very, very beginning of this podcast. Mark Helm recently joined me as the co-host, and we kind of teased Mark. That's the reason why we're having such an explosion of listeners. 121,000 uh, listeners here just recently. It's just crazy how successful it is. We've got, uh, of course, Matt Graham, the very, very emotional and even temperamented Matt Graham. He'll be joining us with a market update. We got Les Parker's commentary and we of course Mr. Kittle. We we have so many nicknames for Kittle. I was just talking to Arthur Priestin who we're going to be interviewing and recording an interview on and I met him through David Kittle and oh my gosh, I was laughing just just in the prep call for this. So we've got so many great upcoming podcasts. One that we got coming up this week is Candor Technology, the only automated underwriting system. Well, these are our sponsors, and we have some upcoming ones up there. But let's go through our sponsors, first of all. Candor Technology is an automated underwriting system to earn a patent. It's the only one that's earned a patent for its unique tech solution. Candor also optimizes loan delivery workflows so operations can right-size for the last time. In other words, you just get more and more out of those underwriters because they're focused on the, the things that that technology cannot touch. It touches a lot of things. It makes a lot of determinations. I am so excited to share with you the interview that we've got coming up with, uh, with Tom uh, and uh, the founder of Candor. It's, it was a great interview, and I'm so excited about it. Then also Finastra, who has uh, just been exploding on the scene again, the largest fintech company in the world. And uh, they set custom decisioning parameters to help streamline the approval process while keeping your lending team compliant and efficient. That's good because Finastra works with a lot of the various banks that are out there. So that's their, their banking. They're real solid in the banking and credit union space, and they're really growing into the independent mortgage banking space. So be paying attention to them. Also, for thrilled to have them here with us. 
Um, Brent Chandler and his team have developed something called the uh, Account Check. It supports Fannie Mae positive rent payment history assessment. So there's more ways in which you can evaluate someone. I think Brent, in his last interview that he did with us on October 17th, says it opens, because of the technology that Form Free has, it opens up to um, the making homeownership possible for 50 million more Americans. That is innovation going in the right direction, especially in our contracting market. Then we have Lender Toolkit. Great to have them as a sponsor, as well as Total Expert, as well as Simple Nexus, the Mortgage Bankers Association. But i got to tell you about Total Expert and Simple Nexus. I want to race off of them. Total Expert is this, this built-in customer journey, and they have these experiences. They take it all the various campaigns from that they've learned from other different ones, and they put this in the system, and they have these nurturing campaigns that you've got to get on a call and learn about. At the very least, get on a phone call and with one of their salespeople and talk to them about how this system can transform your business. And they have a special going on right now that uh, you need to call me about. It's, it's to our radio listeners. And uh, if you're interested, I will get you a special, you in on their special. Uh, but listen to the podcast with Dan Catanelli that we did on October 21st. Also, Simple Nexus taking over the world. They are coming up in the way they're acquiring companies and how they're putting them together. We had Lori Brewer on November 2nd talking about some of this. Listen to that podcast. Then also want to say a special thank you to the Mortgage Bankers Association of America. Thrilled with our partnership with them and uh, how we work together supporting them uh, by letting you know about important things like Mortgage Action Alliance app. So many things at the conference that are going on. Thank you to MBA for all that you do for our industry as well as Lenders One and the Mortgage Collaborative. Now, Lenders One and the Mortgage Collaborative are two of the co-ops, leading co-ops in the nation that allow you to get together with people in the industry of your like size. I love something that the Mortgage Collaborative is doing, and they have these things called collabs. They collaborate, and they get together, and they compare notes, and it's working sessions within your uh, companies of your like size. These are being wildly successful. Then also, Lenders One, we just recorded an interview with Justin DeMoya that we'll be playing uh, and uh, issuing out here. They just landed a deal with Walmart, where in uh, Walmart's, get, they get rolled out for Lender One members. You get to have a presence in the Walmart stores. Also, then, Knowledge Coop, we have, they're great on their learning management system. A mobility MMI and Modex are two powerful tools for recruiting, getting, uh, getting information what's really going on in the industry, as well as mortgage advisory tools. The upcoming podcast that we have this week is Tim Davis on November 25th. Tim is with Atlantic Bay Mortgage, and uh, we're going to be talking about the Circle of Referrals book and origination guide that he uh, publishes. Really great stuff. And then, of course, we've got some more um, that, that, that you're just going to love in the near future. I'm so excited about some of the podcasts we're recording. Shout out to, I get them, Adam DeSantis, Les Parker, Matt Graham, David Kittle, Alice Elvey, Alan Pollock, and Mark Helm. We've got the whole team here today. and looking forward to sharing with you a lot of great information. Let's get over to Adam DeSantis and this week's MBA Mortgage Minute. Hi, I'm Adam DeSanctis. This is the Mortgage Minute, the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Here's what you need to know. Last week, the Department of Housing and Urban Development published its annual report to Congress on the financial status of FHA's Mutual Mortgage Insurance Fund. The report announced a strong combined capital ratio of 11.11%, well above the statutory minimum of 2%. 
A healthy FHA program is necessary to ensure the broad availability of sustainable mortgage credit to low and moderate income households, minority borrowers, first-time home buyers, and other historically underserved communities. The strength of this year's assessment should spur consideration of changes to the level and structure of FHA mortgage insurance premiums. On a call with industry groups, FHA indicated that it is evaluating changes to the MIP structure with a view to maximize payment relief for borrowers. Given FHA's healthy financial position, MBA continues to believe that HUD should make FHA loans more affordable by reducing mortgage insurance premiums as soon as budgetary opportunities allow. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. Adam DeSantis from the MBA. Thank you, Adam. Appreciate that very much. Be sure to sign up for the Mortgage Action Alliance app on your iPhone or on your smartphone. And uh, I'm partial to the iPhone. I know others are out there. that Those that love their Androids, oh, my gosh, you love them. Yeah, it's great, great technology. Anyway, but use whichever one you're using and sign up for the Mortgage Action Alliance app. Thank you, Adam. Appreciate the update. And uh, always grateful to have your report each week. Let's get over to Les Parker and what he has with this week's TM Spotlight and a macro view of the markets. Les, what you got? TM Spotlight Soundbites is brought to you by Power Seller, making hedging easy. The nice great spell we knew long needed you so. As the Fed sticks to its rate plan, mortgage bankers hear angry screams of the uncommitted who take no decisive action. Dante's Inferno lives. One Fed voting member joined the new parlor game, named the Fed terminal rate, with a guess between 5 to 7%. As a result, inversion increases the expectations of a deep recession in 2023 and lowers mortgage rates. So hope for the best and plan for the worst. Does that make Powell our sugar daddy? Say, Powell, be our darling. Be our, be our daddy. Be our daddy now. One and only daddy. These views are my own. Connect the Fed dots at tmspotlight.com. Every time I think of the oldies, the goodies, songs like that, Alice Alvey, I think of you, and, I, and it's one of those wonderful songs, and I, I mean, you and I are both that nostalgic music stuff, so we love it. Not that the others aren't out there on the podcast. And uh, we'll discuss then some about that after we get Matt Grants. Be sure to sign up for Les Parker's TM Spotlight newsletter. And uh, you can do so and get the paid version for free when you put in the word power or power seller in the code section there. Or you ask for a code, put in power seller or just power. And you'll get the newsletter for free. It's really good. I read it each week, each day gets in or my inbox super early. I don't know when Les Parker sleeps. That guy's crazy. He is just so committed to that newsletter, and I respect that so much. But also committed to bringing us timely information is Matt Graham, founder and CEO of MBS Live. And here's his report on the market. Matt, good to have you with us, friend. Hey, good to be here. But first, I got to just tell Alice, when I think of oldies, I don't think of you, Alice. David, Thank you, man. I did not yeah. say that Alice is old. I did not say. I, I said. I, <laughs> oh, 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 man. Thank you, Alice. I was going to wait to my bit to bring it up, but thank you, Matt. <laughs> oh, oh, uh, Matt, you're so bad. You're so anyway, bad. anyway I, think the mo- I think the important thing to focus on is that that was another haunting 
uh, a haunting audio clip from Les, yes. one that will interfere with my sleep tonight. You say Les doesn't sleep now, I'm not going to sleep because I'm just going to envision him recording a new music video to that, uh, you know, having Powell be our sugar daddy. But let's <laughs> let's get down let's get down to it. There's not much to get down to in terms yeah. of markets last week or this week because it's really the holiday holding pattern right now. Uh, sometimes these weeks do end up being volatile, but that is almost always due to some uh, illiquidity-related reasons. And while we do have illiquidity always uh, during this part of the year, it uh, I think traders would prefer that that illiquidity trading fairly flat. It runs mm-hmm. the risk of moving in one direction or the other, depending on who's trading what. But ideally, everyone would prefer it stays fairly flat. And that's what we're seeing so far with um, the previous Thursday's CPI report continuing to sort of set the the recent tone for rates, taking 10-year yields down from, you know, 4.15, 4.2, all the way down to 3.8-ish. And we've been in the 3.8-ish zone ever since then, a little bit weaker last Monday, a little bit stronger last Wednesday, and then right in between over the past two trading days. And now we're into the third trading day since then. Uh, Some recaps from last week's super boring, fairly calm week uh, was the producer price index out on Tuesday just corroborated the low inflation message or the lower inflation message seen from that CPI report. uh, And that actually was enough to create a little bit of market movement, which is interesting. PPI doesn't usually do that. Then retail sales didn't actually hurt despite coming in at 1.3 versus 1.0. So a strong consumer, if you will. And Fed speakers actually mentioned this, uh, but the report itself didn't cause a lot of additional selling in the bond market. In fact, it caused like seven minutes of selling and then bonds ended up improving later in the day and uh, ultimately hitting uh, their best levels of the week on that same day by the end of the day. Uh, Then Philly Fed was another one of the upper tier reports from that week, and uh, that came out quite a bit lower, minus 19.4 versus minus 8.7 forecast. Didn't have much of an impact on the market, but uh, it is another one of those reports that folks can kind of anecdotally build a case for recessionary pressures building into 2023. Uh, The most interesting thing that happened wasn't really – on the beaten path of data, but rather from a veritable chorus of Fed speakers. And it's more of a chorus of like, if the Fed could train a bunch of parrots to just like squawk and say the same thing over and over again, that's sort of what's going on at the Fed right now. And it's kind of comical because the headlines really write themselves before they even come out. Um, So we did have a couple more interesting Fed speakers with, uh, I think Les already mentioned Bullard, saying the thing about 5 to 7% range. And then we also had uh, Waller say something about, you know, I, I don't remember exactly how he worded it, but it was memorable. I guess not memorable enough to remember the exact words, but basically saying, you know, fool me once, won't get fooled again on uh, one month of low CPI uh, inflation implications. So other Fed speakers said similar things saying, hey, look, this is just one report. And we need to wait for confirmation. We're still seeing way too much inflation. And all you guys are really excited pushing bond yields lower, but we're going to keep hiking at least a few more times. And let's focus on what the terminal rate is. And terminal is just 
fancy word for ceiling for those of you that aren't up to speed on the Fed's weird lexicon. And um, once we get there, we're going to keep it there as long as we can. So the Fed is continuing to bang this drum whereby they want people to realize that they would rather err on the side of creating a, a little recession than doing mm-hmm. too little inflation. There's a lot of debate as to whether this is more lip service than reality. I think that if we have signs that inflation is on its way to the target range and we have much weaker economic data or recessionary economic data, I think you'll see a much softer side of the Fed sooner than they would currently be indicating. But uh, they definitely have to be playing this role right now. And I think it's probably a good thing that they are because that CPI report two weeks ago was such a, a big departure from what we had been getting. And now without the caveat of a temporary drop in fuel prices, that it uh, runs the risk in this market where we know that we're eventually going to see rates moving lower and we know inflation is eventually going to come down. It runs the risk of everybody sort of just uh, taking out from the starting line and going right to the finish without running the race at the pace it's supposed to be run at. And the Fed needs to push back against that so things don't get disorderly uh, with the rally. But the Fed is right. We, we do actually need to wait for December's data. That'll be out on December 13th. And uh, then the following day is the next Fed meeting. So we'll get that CPI data on the 13th, Fed following afternoon, new Fed dot plot that same day. Um, a ton of potential volatility. And it's either going to be confirmation of the big picture shift or uh, something that throws a wrench in the works of the big picture shift. But um, that's last week. That's the bigger picture. As far as this week's specifics go, really nothing too interesting on tap. We have a couple treasury auctions uh, in the two, five, and seven year cycle, and those will be over by tomorrow, condensed cycle due to the holiday. And then all of the econ data proper is on Wednesday. No real big ticket reports there. Um, we have markets, manufacturing, PMIs, new home sales, uh, consumer sentiment, and uh, durable goods, which has not been a market mover. Oh, yeah, and with us, as always, is jobless claims, but also has not been a market mover. So traders just looking to get through the next week or two and then uh, see what's what in early to mid-December with you know the jobs report and then, more importantly, CPI and the Fed the following week. That's all I got for this week, Dave. Well, you got uh, a well, good report. Thank you. Uh, yeah. The feds, what are we going to be doing with, doing with them? Um, I, I could, I'd love to get your commentary about uh, the Fed, the, some of the more quiet dissenting voices. Are you hearing about that, um, following some of the quiet dissenting voices within the Fed? No, not really. I think there's a lot of um, – a lot of misinformation in the news oh. about how the Fed works and about how the voters versus non-voters work. And there's a lot of really oh. strong opinions about this and people that have told me that I'm outright wrong. And maybe I am. You know, I don't know what I don't know because I haven't sat in a Fed meeting. <laughs> then again, neither have the people that have the strong <laughs> opinions. Um, so as far as I understand it from reading transcripts, and we only get the transcripts five years after the fact – Everybody, everybody participates in the meeting, whether they're a voter or a non-voter. Right. There right. was some IMF article or IMF study really 
really convoluted with some math and some equations and those sigma signs that always make me tune out when I read them, um, that the IMF concluded that non-voters tend to uh, speak more bluntly and vociferously when they're not voting because they feel like, well, I'm not voting, so I can say what I want, and it's not going to be taken as seriously. Uh, I haven't noticed that. I right. I read and you know every Fed wire that comes out, and a lot of this surrounds Bullard. And Bullard's been a mm-hmm. voter, and he's been a non-voter, and throughout those times, he's been crazy. <laughs> he's <Yeah>. said completely <laughs> off the wall stuff. He's, in my opinion a robot that's been created by the fed to go out into the marketplace and put forward these crazy ideas just to see how they go. Um, and he's trial balloon Bullard. As we, yeah, like trial balloon Bullard. Yep. 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 That's a good point. <clears throat> so yeah, I listen to some of anyway, the, comes up. yeah, but that's a great color. That's a really good color on it. Let's talk about this. Let's get the whole team in on this. Start off with you, Mark Helm, any thoughts that you want to, uh, as you look at the, what Les's report is and, um, Matt, Marks, I'll start off with you. Well, I agree 100% with Matt that this is the pre-holiday doldrums right now, so we're not having mm-hmm. a lot uh, happening out there that's going to make a material difference. Uh, some of uh, Les's uh, presentation could certainly be interpreted as a little bit of gloom and doom, but yeah. um, at the same time, I've seen this. I, David, I, I still have to go back on my experience. I've just seen this cycle so many times, and I've seen so many ups and downs. Maybe I'm just an optimist all the time, but I don't get really bent out of shape on what I hear things because it always seems to level set, and it doesn't last for a long time. It's just I've I've watched this industry cycle and cycle and cycle and cycle. You know what? A few years later, we end up the same place we were and a little better sometimes, a little worse sometimes, and moving through it. So, you know, I focus on the here and today. What can we accomplish today in home ownership for our borrower? How can we better service our industry? Uh, how can we make sure we're uh, cost effective? How can we make sure we're regulatory compliant every day that we do things to make sure we treat all our borrowers the same way? And if you focus on the things that made us what we are today and do those things right, you're going to be prepared for the future. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm past the point of trying to worry about all the nits and ups and downs that happen in our industry and, unless we have a debacle like we had back in uh, 2007 that yeah. was more real estate-driven than it was finance-driven, you know. Very good. Um, Alice, any thoughts, any commentary? Well, I think just for the loan officers out there, for what both of you have said, you know, you can't try and play the market in this kind of volatility. You know, you've got to just work with what your borrower needs to do today, focus on a payment that they can afford, and try and get their focus off of rate. I, I also think for loan officers it's helpful if they understand why when I lock a rate today and it goes down tomorrow, I don't get that rate. Same reason I don't have to go up if it goes up tomorrow. <laughs> so it seems like yeah. there's a lot of uh, yep. LOs out there who – really need to hone in on some of their skills in this market mm-hmm. to uh, not have themselves be so stressed out about it, trying to play the market at that level. That's good wisdom. Yep. Come right, in, right out of the head of training at uh, Union Home. Mr. Kittle, your thoughts. Hello, David. Happy Thanksgiving week to everybody. Uh, a couple of thoughts here. Um, I'll continue to opine that uh, the Fed cannot have just a one-month strategic plan and i hope what i heard earlier was true that they stick with it they don't come off raising rates and that even one or two months of good cpi 
focuses uh, their attention to lower them. Because in a lower market, as rates go down, as we all know, we've been around for a while, the borrower sits there and says, well, it's down 25 basis points. Maybe it's going to go another 25 or 50. So reducing rates can also slow a market uh, as well, and we need to be cautious on it. Two reports uh, out today, and I'll give uh, MBA credit for this because I saw it, and everybody else can too, that uh, existing home sales down ninth yeah. straight month, okay, nine in a row. And so they're going to be down again this month, probably in January. Um, and you just got to go out and do loans and find ways to structure them to Alice's point. And then the other one here uh, that they have in NewsLink this morning is the uh, third quarter IMBs reported a net loss per loan of $624. Now, that's so not that's sustainable. That, that's and then you have to look at third quarter? third quarter. That's an MBA today. Yeah, third quarter. Yeah. They lost $624 a loan. So what was that, bad hedge? Didn't right-size uh, yep. quickly enough yeah. or properly enough, um, or are we paying people too much? And maybe it's all of the above. I say but it's none of this bodes well going forward. What's the base? Did they say what the basis points on it? Well, what was it, five basis points uh, in the second quarter? So third quarter is – I wonder what the – did the report on the basis points, David? What that basis uh, I don't are? see it, no. Okay. Sorry, don't. Yeah, I'd like to just, yeah, just have right. the number. Yep, yep. Uh, well, but you know, this, you you can't have a one or two month strategic plan, and I hope they stick with it. And yep. you know, we're in for some tough times. We are. Technology can help. Let's get over to Alan Pollock. Your thoughts on the market with Les and Matt? Anything you want to add to that, Alan? You know. <clears throat> I'm You're the newest homeowner in the group. So I was thinking. I was thinking about you. Since so yeah. we have the newest homeowner in our group here, should get your thoughts. Did you get a decent rate? I, I did. I, I wound up with a brick, non brick and mortar online credit union, national credit union, and I got a five did, five yeah. and a half five and a half percent jumbo five six arm with I think it was about a sixteen hundred dollar rebate as well. And and I was going to bring this up, David. So. You know what? These are tough times. There, there has been a cycle, but rates are still historically low no. because when yeah. I bought my first house in the early 2000s, my rate was 7%. And mm-hmm. that my, my attorney, since I didn't know anything about the business at that time, had told me that rates are historically low then, right? So <laughs> rates are, 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 are not bad, and, and there are so many ways to help mm. your buyers – figure out a way to buy that home, whether it is a seller buy down, whether, yeah. whether it is yeah. a different type yeah. of loan yeah. program. Yeah. And, and so it's not a horrible market. And I got to be honest, there are, there are a lot of homes where I live still coming on the market and they are going off. Now the values come down a little bit or the yeah. price because people are, are still listing artificially too high. But in the end, what I'm getting at is it takes a little bit of education for the borrower and it takes a little bit of hand holding, And I think, you'll still find success. The harder thing for that I think, David, is not about the market. It's about the competition and being able to engage the right way and not – But you're, you're going to laugh that I'm saying this, but not rely too much on digital technology. You've <laughs> got to be a person. From you. And you've, yeah. It, yeah. I know. You've got to be a person. It's a great you enabler. Gotta, you have, yeah. It's, yep, yep, that's right. Great. It's a great enabler to an in-person relationship. It is a relationship driven. It's got to, so that you use the tools accordingly. Man, that's good. Can't wait for your report here. We got coming up in just a minute, Alan. Good, good thoughts, good thoughts, and it fits in with so many things that we that have been said previously. So, 
uh, and previous podcasts. Excellent. Thank you, team. Matt, thank you. Anything you want to add to all of this, seeing as we all talked about your report? Anything you want to add in light of all the reflection we have? Uh, I think I'm pretty good. Uh, honestly, there's, you know, there's light and dark at the end of the tunnel, depending on, on how you want to look at it. Um, I could go on on and on on that. I think that uh, I'll probably save that for next week, though. And then as far as using uh, technology, I think that it can be a companion. If you are making that human contact and doing that education, then you can use technology synergistically to show people um, certain things and to prove or not prove, but just help educate on your point. Don't rely on it to do your automated marketing for you uh, and things like that. But hey, if you had something like MBS Live and wanted to show people why rates had uh, you know, done what they'd done, then you can do that while having that human conversation. That's a really good point. I was going to say the one piece of technology everybody needs to use is mbslive.net. And you can sign up and use the code LOL for the Liquid Lending. Thank you, Matt. Uh, and you get an extended trial period without a credit card required. Of course, you need to get your credit card out anyway because you're going to want to sign up for this amazing, valuable service. Matt Graham, thank you for being here each every week. What are you going to be doing for Thanksgiving, staying in the Portland area? Are you going to be uh, traveling? Just learning how to drive my new tractor, pretty much. Oh, yes, that's right, Farmer, <laughs> Farmer Matt. All right, that's good. Very cool, very cool. Have a great Thanksgiving. We're grateful for you and uh, for our whole team here, but thank you, Matt, for being here. You've made it that Yeah, happy more. Thanksgiving, all. Yeah, thank you all very much. Let's get over to Mr. Kittle on the, the day's origination report. You kind of got into it a little bit, David. It was good report, very, very good. Uh, with some of the stuff, is there any? The big news was the that we gave last week when you were gone was the merger with was it last week or whenever it was recently with uh, uh, Movement Mortgage acquiring uh, Mortgage Network up in the Boston area. So there's is there there is so much, and I know you're seeing this, David, within the Mortgage Collaborative as lenders uh, um, lenders one is also seeing that within their network. There's just a lot of quiet, quiet consolidation going on. Thoughts? Yeah, um, you know, all true. I still go back. I love what Alan just said, and, of course, Alice as well. Still business out there to get, right? So you have to go out and work a little harder. You're not just selling rate. You're selling service, and you take care of the customer, and you learn how to structure a deal, whether it's a buy-down, an arm, or whatever it is. And uh, you just got to go out and work a little bit harder. Um, I think we are just in for a slower times through at least, you know, first half of next year, and again, I hope the Fed holds its line. Uh, to the question about the Mortgage Collaborative, I mean, we added another new lender today in this market, and so what they're seeing, at least in TMC, and that's the one of the co-ops that I know the best, obviously, is that we add value, and if you've got value, there's still people willing to go out ten conferences and learn, and that's something that TMC brings to the table, especially in what you mentioned earlier with our collab labs. Yeah. And, um, and our new educational program we're over. So um, just to learn how to structure a deal, there is still business to be out there. Uh, yeah. It was just mentioned, I'll finish with this, 7% was um, uh, was his first house that he bought, right? And uh, that's basically where we are today. Interest rates on the first house that I bought were 16 and a half. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's a lot of years ago. So it's all relative. We had to learn how to originate in different markets. And uh, 
I think I want to make one more comment, if you'll allow me here. When we were talking about loan officers a minute ago, um, if, if they want the loans to remain firm when rates go up, they have to when they go down. If it's an LO that started in the last 15 years, they haven't seen uh, rates like this, where they are locked at a little bit higher mm-hmm. rate and continue to fall. And you're just going to have to hold the line on that because certainly – uh, most of the small IMBs, medium to small IMBs, aren't going to unlock that loan if it's in a hedge and uh, or move it to another investor, and uh, because that's a reputational issue for your company. So you're just going to have to work it out uh, with the borrower and, and hold the line, and you may lose a couple of deals in this market. That sounds horrible, but that's the truth. Yeah, it keep rates full. Yeah, you get be knowledgeable on the products, learn how to structure deals, and uh, work. Doggone. How about that as a concept, Mr. Kittle? Working hard again. It is, isn't it? Yeah, it's a novel yeah. one. But I got a question for you, Mr. Kittle. You see with the co-op, with the, the TMC, Morris Co-op, um, you see a lot of different branch structures. And I'm thinking of a letter I have constructed to one of my clients right now. And... What I am seeing, and I'm wanting to get your opinions. We'll walk around the room a little bit and get a little thought on this, kind of an informal survey. But we're seeing some of the more profitable companies have what is referred to as a P&L model, an enterprise model, things like that. Some of the clients, at least the clients we're working with, they're some of the most profitable companies out there, even in this market, because the loan us and there's all because the loan officers, because in a P&L model, they manage their P&L. They're responsible for it. Thoughts on that, David? Are you seeing any trends that you could validate that? Sure. Well, um, you know, I can't speak to specifics, but absolutely. I think it's a wonderful model. It fits, obviously, the culture of the company. It engages your loan officer, and uh, they share in a little bit more profit, and they share certainly in the loss, and and they have a say in it, and they see what it takes to build and maintain a company in markets like this other than just low interest rates, you know, where you're just shooting ducks on a pond. So mm-hmm. um, I think that's a wonderful model and something that I would encourage people to look at. If you don't have it, that's a tough culture to change because now you're asking for real buy-in uh, from your loan officers. But um, get them to buy into this, yeah. and then when the market goes the other way, you know, there's a lot more money to be made. I never, ever got mad when my loan officers made more money than I did. Yes. Yeah, there's some bankers out there that need to hear that. Yeah, they just enhanced just enhanced my uh, my stock, right, and yeah. and the value of my company, and that's a concept that a lot of owners don't have. That's a great point, David. Especially regulated financial institutions, they really struggle with that. But I'm the president of the bank. I'm supposed to make the most amount of money. Hey, if you got a good mortgage operation, cheer, roar, and celebrate that there's a whole lot of people in your mortgage division making a lot more than you because you're making good money at the bank if that's happening. Mark Helm, your thoughts on Enhancing your stock price, right? Enhancing your stock price. Great way to put it, value of your company. Mark Helm, on the uh, P&L model versus not P&L model, are you seeing that as a weight, uh, some of the more profitable companies? Mark, your phone must be muted. Yes, David, I am seeing that, and the unfortunate part about that sometimes is uh, is when you're when you're working on a non P and L model, uh, it, it sometimes is an extraction from the P and L model because you know we tend to run our business on a P and L model, but at the same time, you know we got to have the flexibility to grow and develop and change. And I, for one, am like David, 
Uh, I have never had a problem in my companies when my salespeople made more money than I did. It happens all mm-hmm. the time now. And, uh, yeah. you know, I, you know, consulting-wise and coaching, I've done a number of assignments, as you well are aware of, where, the, uh, where, where they got salespeople out there making millions of dollars a year. And, in fact, when I was coming up through the business, we didn't have any of us making that kind of money. But now, uh, since probably about 20 years ago, that's that's become more of a mode in certain companies. There's always one or two people that are just out there knocking the ball out the ballpark all the time. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that gets people excited and gets people ready to join the business. That's what we need, good, sharp people coming in and wanting to grow and have the opportunity to extend as far as their potential takes them. And when you give that kind of model to them, it's a great model to have, and and people can live their dreams. And that's what I love about our industry. Yeah, it was just got a tip from one of our listeners and said, you know, that would make a great Hot Topic segment sometime is really diving into that and this person said, I notice within our organizations and other organizations, the strongest LOs gravitate to those with a P&L model. So, uh, Alice, um, Alan, anything else? Yeah, Alice, you want to add to that before we move on to you, Alice? Anything else you want to add? I was just going to say the same thing because there's so many details I think our listeners would love to know about, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to have a show that was dedicated to that because uh, – uh, there are a lot of ways to structure that, and how do you transition mm-hmm. your loan officers to that? So great idea to stretch out on that on another show. Thank you, listener. Appreciate that input. Very good. Well, let's begin over to you, Alice Alvey, with the uh, Alice Alvey. <laughs> Don't need an introduction. We do it every time. We have new listeners coming along. So Alice Alvey is here with us. Uh, she is the, a CMB, a master CMB, I might add, vice president of education and training at Union Home Mortgage. And he, she's here with this week's legislative update. Got some insights from the MBA report. What you got? Yes, I think just a couple of uh, reminders. Uh, hopefully all of you got a chance to test out FHA's positive rental income indicator that went live on the 19th in the DU release. And then also, as I've said, we've got FHA has this request for information out there for how can they better serve borrowers who are in that lower smaller mortgage amount range. And uh, we talked a little bit about this on a couple of other shows. There still are only nine comments out there. And I'm so surprised by this because there's so many ways that, yeah, that this product could be better, could be easier for all of us to use. And then along the same line, the MMI uh, annual report came out. So for those of you who want to go back for 15 years, every November, I love this topic. I love looking at that report <laughs> to really see where, where the FHA fund is. And they've got a ton of money, ton of money. They are at 11% when they only need to be at 2%. Well, forward mortgages, I think we have a lot of room here for FHA to lower the premiums. They've got a strong, healthy portfolio with all the loans that were done in 2020 and 2021 that'll have that ongoing monthly amount. So uh, this RFI is perfect timing to have an open door for you to respond to FHA at the same time this data has now come out to firmly support they should be reducing the MIP premiums. And we should be focusing them on how can we reduce the monthly amount so it gets that monthly payment down for the customers or perhaps even include a drop point for it, although that's really what's over the long term helped the fund stay healthy is that those MIP premiums last for so long. Um, The other big thing we want you to comment on, get out there, you only have till December 5th, 
is to find a way so that these loans don't have to be capped by the QM rules. Uh, can mm-hmm. FHA yeah. somehow uh, get out from underneath that, which would also help the lower loan amounts? So those are the big things, all a low-mod income borrower focus and ways to get people into homes. So get out there and comment on the FHA RFI. And the MMI report, the uh, fund report, has great data to know what's going on in the industry. Uh, so I recommend it as a read for everybody to understand uh, where that where FHA is at, and it, it's a good indicator on the market too. Good, Alice. This is a Mark. I got a question on that. Do you? Uh, yeah. It, it, I'm speaking of my experience. Do you really think that FHA will uh, will be willing to drop the premium to where they should drop the premium to, or do you think this will be a mild adjustment? You know, I'm not in the inner circle, so I I'm just. From my experience over the years, they're so conservative. You know, the only yes. time that they've ever dropped it is, you know, it's yeah. very minor, and um, and they're very nervous about stress testing. But they did stress test this quite a bit, and it still holds up. Um, but they'll still be always very nervous and have excuses as to why they can't. So we'll wait and see. I noticed MBA did comment, um, but it'll take a loud voice, I think, to try and get something done but you're right I, I don't hold out hope for anything major but at least let's get something i'm with you on that and that's kind of a shame because we've seen cycles and cycles of that where we've never seen anything major and this is time when we really need one yeah you know, yeah. So, yeah they had that time where they did a special for first-time home buyers where mm-hmm. that was a lower premium yeah. and you know so maybe there's a niche thing they can go after because that's still about it's over eighty percent, maybe eighty four percent of their or their mm. their business. So that would still get us some good movement. Yes. So David, great idea. Yeah, jump in, please, David. I will just say I would love to be wrong on this. When was the last time have you ever seen the federal government, which is actually the taxpayer, throw that and let go of any surplus? And right. uh, if they do it at all, it's going to be negligible and it won't help anybody. Yeah. So I just I don't think they'll do it. Redirected into the pork belly. I hate this stuff. Yeah, I agree. I would love to see it. Unfortunately, it's, uh, that's been the history. You know, that has been the history. Great comments, Alan. Any thoughts on this? No, I, you know, I, 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 I'm not the expert in this area. Um, and we have so many smart people. I, I really do just concur with everyone else is saying. Um, so I don't have any direct feedback. No. <laughs> yeah. good, good, good. Good. Well, we got, well, here, what we do have good feedback on is you, cause you're up with this week's tech update. What do you have for All us? Right. Who just, who has been with open closed, who just announced the sale of the company. Very exciting. I'm very happy for you. And a lot going on. Mergers and acquisitions are alive and well, really alive and well in the yeah, tech side of the are. Yeah. What you got for us? They are. Well, I want to start, David, because and some, some of the folks that listen to us have been living vicariously through my home buying experience. Uh, and, and even at the last conference when I saw some people, they asked me how it was going. So uh, I thought I would give a small update. The, the home I purchased had – smart automation. Every single light switch was a smart switch. Now, anyone can do it, right? It wasn't a selling point of the home. It just happened to have already been done. But we're talking about closet switches, hallway switches, rooms that have three switches. And here's what's interesting. It feels like the mortgage industry. 
because in order to get everything connected, you have to download an app. But my hot water heater is, on, is, is Wi-Fi. You have to get a different app. The heating and cooling system is Wi-Fi. You have to download another app. My garage door is Wi-Fi. I have to download another app. And then what's happening is I've created an account at all these different apps or these vendors. Mm -hmm. I also have a refrigerator that has a full, it's called the family hub. It's, you know, it's got like um, a full TV in it with Alexa. Well, in order to get Alexa to control the house where I can say, you know, it's nighttime, turn the lights off, you have to integrate your phone to the Samsung app. And then Samsung doesn't talk to all the switches, so you have to download another app called the Smart Things app. But the Smart Things app isn't connected to the Garage Door app. So at Smart the end of the day, I have a, a multitude of apps. I've got more things to do to control all the digital switches where I could easily just walk around the house and touch them with my hand. And I bet you, for some of you listening, the mortgage industry feels that way, right? Yeah, that's Too many great vendors. Mark, I hear you chuckling in the background. That's so true. Well, it's given a whole new definition. You remember uh, the advertisement that used to be out on, the, on, on TV a long time ago, reach out and touch someone? That's what <laughs> right, we're doing. Right. We're reaching out and touching someone. <laughs> i got to go back to Oh, funny, funny. Alice, you, I heard you laughing in the background. Your thoughts? <laughs> I think it's right. And then someone will invent another app to try and combine 80% of them. You'll still have yeah. the outliers. You'll have the outliers, absolutely. <laughs> okay, Alice, well, I know you've got more than that, but that was pretty daggone good. I like that. That is how a lot of well, people I, I got a new app right now that talks to my wife that says, yes, baby, whatever you say. Yes, baby, whatever <laughs> yeah. you say. Keeps me out of That's trouble, like- let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, that's like the easy button for Staples, right? No, we'll never yeah. forget that one. <laughs> I need to do that for the Thanksgiving meal that's coming up. Yes, honey. Yes, honey. Okay, dear. Yeah. Oh, hilarious. All right. So <laughs> here's the next piece, David. And and I, you know, I, I don't want to spend too much more time on it, but it's great. So now I found the app that bridges all the apps together, right? Yeah. However, I do I do feel like I need a consultant or someone in the automation world to tell me if I've downloaded too many apps. And I'm highly technical, and I'm feeling lost. And here here's the best part. Oh, my gosh. There's now yeah. a thing they've added on top called automations. And you have Google automations, Alexa automations, and Apple iPhone automations. The Apple ones only work with HomeKit. The Alexa ones only work with Alexa and I have so many apps installed that they all may be automating and clashing in the middle. And this is exactly how your borrowers feel. So That's like I said point. earlier, yes, yes technology is great. It doesn't solve all of your problems. That is exactly why I don't want to downplay blockchain and Web3, which is what we're going to talk about. I promised last week we'd talk about that. But it is true. We're not there yet. There, the, a lot of the pieces in the middle are not interconnected yet. And we still have to be human beings. So with that being said, let's move on, David. There's been a couple interesting things. You know, I, I, I go through a lot of stuff on the Internet, as, as right. the, our, all of our co-hosts here do. And I, I pick one or two that I feel are just funny or worth mentioning. This is a great one, Mortgage Hippo. They're a digital mortgage prop tech company, all right? And they say they offer a no-code, low-code digital mortgage right. to perform to lenders. 
Well, they rebranded themselves. They're no longer Mortgage Hippo. They're now called Revin. Like a car is revving. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and it's interesting because as you read more through the article, it says, you know, uh, our CEO, our Revin CEO, or our Revin marketing person, and it's kind of, it kind of has a cool touch to it. So obviously they're taking off um, over the, the increased acceleration and efficiencies that they now help people get. Um, and, and here's an exact word from the article. It says, according to a statement from Revin, the new brand is reflective of the company's focus on its lending platform and a better fit for its mission to democratize technology, which allows all financial institutions to act as cutting-edge fintech, no code required. So very cool branding name, and obviously we're all working towards that. It doesn't matter who the tech vendor is. Um, just don't feel like an Alexa home or an, an automated switch in, in the home buyer's house. Make them feel like you got their back and they know what they're doing. And then, David... This is a really interesting article on Fox Business. This one is, it says, in the coming year, mortgage lenders will be focused on investing in solutions that will drive efficiency, says Seth Appleton, Mortgage Industry Standards Maintenance Organization. So he's from Mismo. He's the president right now. And what he's basically saying is, hey, now's the time to start investing. But what are the three things that he says that you need to do? You need to cut all those extra IT costs, things you don't need that you're overpaying for. You need to focus on information security, right? We've talked about that the last few weeks. And what is the final one he mentioned? You've got to pick the right technology. So Mismo, you know, um, everybody's focused on the same, same message. And then, mm. David, what I'll talk about now is a little bit of Web3, um, which is mm. similar to Web3.0. It's a little bit different. But ultimately, and I thought this was going to be a bigger conversation, but as I looked further into it, it's too technical to bring up on a podcast um, or, or not to focus more time. So I want to just kind of mention it. And there's just one key takeaway that all this Web3 and Web3.0 is. The first thing is it is a major jump, right, Web3, and how we consume and share information on the Internet and how search engines and AI capabilities on the horizon will affect user behavior, right? That's one of the key words, user behavior, Web3 and Web3.0 is all going to be focused on a user's experience and how it's tailored to their preferences and their needs. Ultimately, David, there's three things that everyone needs to think about when you think Web3. And I'm going to tell you why it's not important. But first, let me tell you what the three things are. It's personalization, right? The, the whole experience needs to be personalized, which Web3 delivers to each of the borrowers or each of the originators, everyone that's part of the process, right? How do you personalize the experience? Two is mobile first. doesn't say mobile app, right? Remember app fatigue from many weeks ago? It just says mobile first. And then ubiquity, right? It entirely changes the way people access data as they go beyond PCs and smartphones and how it's secure and private and you can transact. It's all built around or ready to be built on top of blockchain. So here's why it's not important, right? These are all important things. We talk about all of this. But you, as a mortgage lender, unless you've got a significant tech team, you really shouldn't worry about it. Web3, Web3.0 is, is nothing that's going to change your life right now. What's going to change your life is focusing your dollars on making the things automated that should be automated. You're not going to automate the whole thing. You're not going to have mortgage in a box and deliver mortgages in one hour. What you're going to do is continue to refine the process. You're going to find efficiencies, and you're going to better deploy your staff to do better in serving of the American homebuyer. That's what you're going to focus on. So 
With that, David, hopefully everyone now knows what Web3, Web3.0 is, how it really doesn't affect them right now, more for their vendors to focus on and more of a future thing. Um, and remember, um, you can get confused with automated smart homes. Probably better if you just <laughs> hit the switch with your finger. <laughs> <laughs> Reach out and touch something. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. That is good. That's good. There's a lot of good information there. Yeah. Web 3.0. Um, we're going to be seeing a lot more. I'd love to have you cover more on that. Uh, break that down a little bit for us. Uh, let's see, Alice. Any thoughts on this report? And then get to you, Kittle, Mr. Kittle, and then Mark. Any things? Uh, I'm just anxious to see more about it. You know, when people hear the internet is going to be uh, different or uh, more no. personal, some people the hair goes up on the back of their neck. They don't like that. Yeah. Idea. So we'll. Yeah. I'm interested to hear what it really well, or see what it really does. Yeah. You know, Alice, we, we all see our phones kind of follow our conversations, but what people don't realize is when you go to Home Depot or you go to Walgreens or CVS, your data is profiled. It may be an aggregate form, but if you contacted the right marketing company and somebody wanted to drive, you can't do it in mortgage, of course, but somebody wanted to drive down and say, I'm looking for, you know, 40-year-old people that, you know, that buy a lot of Band-Aids, you can, you can easily find them from the right company. Yeah, lots of it's really interesting the data that's out there that they have on us. It's pretty interesting, Mr. Kittle. Um, I'm going to refuse to participate in anything anymore because I don't want to be followed. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, David wants to go back to his flip phone. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> I think it's you know, look. It's it's great when you look at it from one perspective, but it uh, does have to, to go back to the Orwellian book, 1984, doesn't it? So uh, it's the times we live in, and I, I don't know. Personally, I don't like it, but yeah. professionally, you got to have it. Well, it's amazing what – yeah, I, I mean, it, this, is anyone surprised that Alan has a TV on his – on his refrigerator. I know that I saw one of those TVs when we were looking to, when we did our kitchen remodel last year, I was thinking, Oh, mom, Nance, let's get this. This would be so cool. She looked at me like I had one eye in the middle. We have enough screens around here. You get distracted with every screen you walk by. I do not need you to be distracted with another. Yeah. Screen. Suddenly you'll be doing a, you'll be doing a podcast from inside the refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. You'd say it'd have a chilling effect on everyone. Anyway, not enough on that stuff. Very good. Alan Pollock, appreciate it. Uh, anyone else want to add in on as we wrap this move over? Not wrap it up. We're moving on to Mark Helm. We're on servicing. David, I, I got three, three comments about Alan. First of all, I need to schedule an appointment, Alan, to get some app consulting. So you're going to be AC now, app consulting for people because you seem to know more about apps than your small finger than I know in my whole body. Uh, the second point, I think – it's very important. Uh, Mr. Kittle hit right on it with the Aurelian 1984 deal. I don't know about other folks on the phone, but I feel like my personal privacy is invaded. Every time I talk about yeah. something, next thing I know, it pops up on my cell phone. That is freaky, and it's scary. Agreed. That it, it, just, it just really bugs the heck out of me. So maybe it doesn't bug any. I think it bugs Mr. Kittle and me. I don't know who else on the phone it bugs, but it really bugs me. And it, I don't think it's cool. I don't think it's uh, neat to have that happen because, you know, there's there's somebody grabbing my information and listening to me, and that just doesn't uh, feel right, and it's not a yeah. happenstance. It just happens, and it bothers me greatly. But I do believe uh, that 
that what we've talked about today has been very enlightening, and I'm going to start paying more attention to what's going on around me because I, I am a big believer in technology, but I think we should rule technology. Technology should never rule us, and I'm yeah. afraid we're leaning towards the uh, the bad side. Dun, dun, ta, dun, dun, ta, dun, ta, dun, that's a flag-waving statement there. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. We should. Uh, I think that's why I'm a fan of Form Free and what Brent is doing out there because that's the except of the passbook and you put everything in there and you release it out rather than that. I think we're also going to see something called proximity devices a lot more as you're driving down the street or when you're walking through a store of proximity devices, which you push out your phone um, information about a sale that's going on. Really interesting. Lots technology is both as maddening as it is exciting. And I get caught up on both sides of it at times, but Mr. Quiddles, Orwellian Comet is well taken because it does feel like that big brother is watching you. All right, Mark Helm, let's get over to you with a wrap up the last segment on loan servicing and any information about Fannie, Freddie, and Jenny. Well, <clears throat> what can I say here in a couple minutes? Okay, let me uh, let me say that uh, David and I have been planning for a good while about me giving an overview on what's evaluation of servicing, what's happening in the servicing market, the pluses and minuses that's happening around us as we go through these rough times and all. And it seems like we have a lot of good topics to talk about, so we haven't gotten to that. So I must suggest to uh, Mr. Licken that maybe we do a special podcast on that sometime because I think that's a better way to handle that down the road rather than trying to weave it in with all this important data we're talking about. It's more apropos for all of us on the phone and and, uh, – and things we need today, and mine is more like a history lesson, so we'll do that at a later time. I will tell you that uh, we're seeing a lot of portfolios move right now. The brokers are staying extremely busy because there's a lot of companies trying to cash out on their mortgage servicing, and it's bringing the values with the flooding in the market with the servicing portfolios. It's bringing the values down a little bit, supply and demand, no big surprise there. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really going back to that school that I've uh, taught at for a long time, so to speak, is I really think that we as servicers in the industry need to decide and do a much better job of deciding what we're going to keep in our portfolio for the long haul and what we're going to sell to people that have more expertise dealing with that, whether it's a breakdown between ARM and fixed rate loans or whether it's a breakdown for non-QM and QM loans, uh, whether it's a breakdown between Fannie and Freddie or Jenny servicing, a breakout that you have that's a little bit different. But I think we're going to have to be smarter about what we service in the future so we fully understand what will happen, and we're making a commitment up front. We're making a long-term commitment of keeping our servicing because I really don't want to go back to where we were about 15 to 20 years ago where servicing portfolios are moving three or four times, but people selling servicing around because they were agitated bars back then, and we didn't serve our industry a good purpose when we were transferring people three times in two years. That was really, really bad, so I don't want to see that again. So I think we need to pay a lot of attention to what we're doing and uh, be more cautious of what we're doing mm-hmm. and make the smart decision not only for us but the smart decision for our customers too. Because remember, those customers are what put us here today. They're what to take us through tomorrow, and they need to be here for our future. And so I'll just close with that quick comment, man. Good. Great, great comment and a good note to end on. And I appreciate it very much. There's so much in the servicing topic that we it, it's just a deep, deep deep topic like an ocean you're just not going to drink that one in any amount of short amount of time but it's an important topic especially as we look at where interest rates are heading and what should be people doing i got a bad feeling some people are selling some of the stuff they're just dumping servicing and they should be holding on to that lower coupon stuff it's just really really important 
Well, folks, that wraps podcast for today. I want to say a special thank you to our regulars, regular co-hosts, each and every one of you. Again, Mark Helm, Alice Alvey, David Kittle, Matt Graham, David, who's David, David, David Kittle? Oh, yeah, I mentioned him already. Uh, Alan Pollock. <laughs> Love always harassing the Kittles. Anyway, appreciate you all for being here each and every week. And a special thank you to our sponsors, Candor Technology, Finastra, Form Free, Total Experts, Simple Nexus, Mortgage Bankers Association, Lenders One, The Mortgage Collaborative, Knowledge Coop, Mobility MMI, Modex, and The Mortgage Advisory Tools. So thrilled. Be sure to check out all the podcasts and the ones that we're releasing in between our regular flagship one on Mondays. We do release a lot of podcasts throughout the week, so check it out. Have a great week, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving, wherever you're celebrating it, and may you stay warm which is definitely not what's going on here in Central Texas right now. It is down to the 30s and rainy. Miserable. I feel like I'm back in Seattle where I started my career 50 years ago. All right, everybody. Have a great week, and happy Thanksgiving. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.